Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech Talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Greetings, daydream believers and homecoming queens alike. Congratulations once again on an impeccable choice on how to spend the next 45 minutes or so. Let us assure you there'll be no regrets. And when I say us, of course I mean that I'm not alone. And in about four seconds from now, you'll hear the soothing tech talk and tones of Matthew Dickerson. Howdy, Matt. What's been happening? The monkeys. Wow, you're dragging them out now, aren't you? <laughs> I love them. Yeah, they are yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's been happening is we've got a delegation visiting from Japan at the moment. And it's always interesting talking to people from Japan. I love the technology that the Japanese have brought to the world. They've been famous for many years now in terms of bringing a whole range of different technological devices. They've got some very famous companies, and I won't mention mm. brand names, but famous companies that people would immediately think of when they think of Japan and technology. But what's exciting for you and I, James, is that Japan is feeling a bit threatened. They feel that South Korea has been making some huge advances in technology recently. So Japan, or Japanese people being Japanese people, aren't about to sit around and wait for some other country, some other upstart. Now I'm imagining some sort of robot that's being created to like destroy Seoul. (laughs) Well, well, hopefully not that. (laughs) Something enormous that's as big as like... A building or whatever. <laughs> Hopefully they're going the other way. Sword. Hopefully they're going to destroy South Korea by being better than them. So what oh, okay. I'm right. hoping to see is rather than all-out war, I'm hoping to see competition. Might be a okay. better outcome. All right, cool, cool. Sorry cool. to take you down a wrong and path And not destroy there. Seoul and no, no. South Korea? Preferably Just, not. Okay, all right. But there are some good Fair events being, being, made, that's right, being made in South Korea, and that's fantastic for the world. But Japan is saying we don't want South Korea to be known for their technological now. We want Japan to continue to be known for their technological now. So they're they're feeling threatened. Mm. And in that threat, I think they'll respond to that very positively. And there are lots of examples of that, but probably the car industry is one where you've got some car companies in South Korea that are really getting into or making inroads in various markets around the world. And it's not uncommon to see some South Korean brands Mm. making some great advances, getting more sales out there on the roads, just looking around how many cars you see. Yeah, there's a real presence. Yeah, compared to some of those Japanese brands. And they've been doing that a little bit quietly, I feel. And you blinked and suddenly, wow, all these South Korean cars are out there now, in a po- as opposed to so many of those Japanese cars out there. It's really exciting. I think the competition will stir up better outcomes for both countries. And it also means that there are other countries around the world as well who see that, well, we don't want to leave it just to the Japanese and the South Koreans. We want to be in there and mixing it up as well. So well, there's overall, nothing like a bit of competition to stir you into gear. Correct. That's exactly right. And that's hopefully what we'll see. But again... They've been at the, the top for so long, Japan. Let's see if South Korea can either knock them off or stir them to greater heights. Yeah, sure will. Without some big machine to without, destroy <laughs> With a big robot with a big sword <laughs> and smashing buildings and stuff like that. All right, on to our stories for the day. I must confess, as a young kid in the 80s, I watched my fair share of movies, good and bad, old and new. Like many kids, my folks had to chase me away from the idiot box more than once. Get outside and do something with your life. You'll never get a job watching movies. Little did either of us know that all of those hours in front of that comparatively small Hitachi little 32-inch screen, I think it was, were merely a preparation for my true calling, which has come now because people, Amazon Prime, have started advertising for people to watch movies for three months and get paid for it. Matt, is it time to give up my day job? 
It's getting paid pretty well too, I think. $40,000 for a three-month stint. Three months. So if you do three lots of, sorry, four lots of those, hundred sixty Except the job year. only goes for three months. But yeah, you're right. The equivalent, Maybe you can convince them to extend. <laughs> that's right. If you do a really good the job. Extend the tenure there. <laughs> so you're right. The equivalent of $160,000. Oh, that job. movie really, really well. <laughs> no one else watching that movie better than I did. So this whole job is about the competition with streaming services. Now, if you want this job, James, which would be a great summer job, if you want this job, there's some competition because I know there are four of my kids who have said, yeah, right. we're putting in for this job. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some competition out there. I wonder if you've still got to pay for your subscription, though. Oh, gee, I hope not. I think that'd be one of the perks. But I know you're paying me 40 grand, but I don't want to pay those few dollars each month. So the idea here is that streaming services are competing against each other mm. incredibly. So you've got the Netflixes, you've got Disney, you've got Amazon Prime. So you've got so many different streaming services. There's lots of individual niche streaming services as well. But what Amazon Prime believes is that the way for them to get more eyes on their service... Is to pay them. <laughs> well, that's one way to do it. That's right. I think there's only one job going, so that's a bit of an issue. Oh, right, okay. right. <laughs> but that would work. But the other way to do it, apart from paying them, is for someone to watch shows and then make recommendations to people out there to say, you know what, yesterday I just watched this show, this movie, whatever oh, it might have become been. become an influencer. And become an influencer, absolutely right. And it'll be well recognised that this is someone being paid. This is an Amazon Prime employee mm. for those three months, but they want someone to watch, watch, watch and watch and then recommend, and they want it specific to Australia. So this is going to be a job based in Australia. I suppose you could be anywhere, but the mm. idea is that you'll be trying to tell the people of Australia what you're watching over the three months, over the summer period, basically. Over summer, I'm watching blah and blah and blah. You should do the same. And if you're watching something on Apple TV <laughs> or something like that, try not to tell them about that. I think that's part of the contract <laughs> okay. that you probably need to talk about the ones on Amazon Prime, Only, right, not okay. on Netflix. So if you if you oh, there are took all the these <laughs> hidden catches in the contract, right. aren't they? If you took the job and started recommending <laughs> Netflix shows, they might have something to say. Although Netflix might have a job for you then as well. So, <laughs> so you could be a double agent. You could be yeah. watching shows from oh, lots of providers. Wow. So this is the idea here. You sit down, you watch, you tell people about it. It's not your ordinary job. It's got to be someone that knows about shows and movies, I suppose. They want the job application to be a two-minute video of you talking about your knowledge, your experience, how much you've watched, I don't know, shows, mm. movies, TVs. I actually said to one of my kids when they saying, what should I do? I said, just do a two-minute video from behind your head, just capturing a bit of your head and a bit of the TV, obviously on Amazon Prime, watching for two minutes and say, look, this is how dedicated I am. I can't even talk about it because I'm so focused on watching it. Now, I've just given the idea to lots of other listeners out there to go and submit the application. I don't know if that's what they want. I have no idea what they want. But I also just feel a little bit for the person who's got to go through the resumes. Mm. Two-minute maximum resume for every person. I can imagine there will be thousands, mm. tens of thousands maybe of applications. Somehow they've got to sort through all those and pick the one two-minute video that says this is the person that's going to do this job fantastically. Mm, this is goggle box on steroids, isn't it? This oh, is. it is. Absolutely it is, isn't it? So fascinating process. But this is where we've come to. Now, it used to be back in the old days when you had TV or you had the movies, there would be reviewers 
who would work for a newspaper, say, mm. back in the old days yeah. of newspapers, and their job was to watch a couple of movies during the week, maybe catch some things on TV. I believe they're still about, too. Are they? Yes. Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might be applying for this job as well, because they should have some good knowledge of TV shows and movies and all the rest of it. I would be hopeless, because I don't watch enough TV. I don't have enough yeah, time right. to watch TV. But maybe With that's what they want. $40,000, well, maybe, maybe you can make some time. Maybe they want someone that has no idea about it. No, they've actually said in there they want someone that's got good knowledge of that. So those people that are doing it now, in terms of going out there, doing those old-fashioned reviews, yeah, maybe they'll be great for this, but I haven't seen any of those sort of reviews lately, James. I, I don't know. I just go to, if everyone get the time to watch TV, you say, you know what I like, Mr. Netflix, tell me yeah. what I should watch next. <laughs> or say to the kids, what are you guys watching? You've also got to be pretty good with your pizza and popcorn too, haven't you? Well, I don't know whether you get free pizza and popcorn with this, but surely you'd need some sort of subscription. You'd have subscription. to enjoy them. Yeah, absolutely mm. right. been one to buy into the idea of our lives being measured out by an hourglass, time being ordered by destiny. And when your time's up, your time's up. The further that medical tech has developed, the more we become masters of our own destiny, you see. So the things which may have written your last chapter in days gone by needn't anymore. And Matt, you've got a piece of early warning high tech for us that may cheat death and stretch our longevity even further, which is some good news. Yeah, and the really exciting part about this is it's being developed here in Australia, which means typically that it'll be bought by an overseas company very shortly. <laughs> <laughs> but we hope not. We hope oh, that all I'll this laugh, but... de- development that happens in Australia, hopefully we actually manage to market it to the world and mm. keep some of that money here. But it's pretty exciting. We often talk about it. Wearables, wearables, wearables. Mm. That is the next big area in technology. And we see so many things in wearables now that have gone so much further than ever before. The next stage in wearables, and that's where we're talking about here, is when you start to get it part of your body. It's actually not just wearing on the outside of the body, but it's actually got some electrodes that go just underneath the skin to drag more information out. That's going to entice some people, (laughs) or not. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) They're only really thin needles, sir. But we've talked about it before for people that are diabetics that need to be able to monitor their uh, insulin levels. So they've been using some little electrodes that just go underneath the skin to constantly monitor that. Mm -hmm. This is similar to that, but you would wear it similar to a watch very tiny needles that you wouldn't feel, so they say, in the advertising blurb, but you mm. wouldn't feel when it goes in. But what it monitors are a few things. And at this stage, they're focused on two things, heart attacks and dehydration. When you have a heart attack or when you're in the early stages of a heart attack, your blood has certain indicators, certain markers in it. Yeah. And this technology can pick those up. So rather than realising you're having a heart attack when you're laying on the floor passed out, you might get some early indicators. Now, we know just from basic things, if your left arm starts to get a bit numb or your left hand starts to get a bit numb, you get some chest pains, there's some early indicators. But there are already indicators in your blood before you get to that Mm, stage. Yeah, you're releasing hormones that uh, are preparing your body for what's about to happen. Exactly right. So we don't really know about those. We haven't got enough detection in our normal body to pick up on those. But this sort of technology can do that. And where they're really talking about this is in, for example, an aged care facility, when you've got people who are potentially more likely, more susceptible to having a heart attack, then having this sort of technology on them would mean that one day a nurse comes in and doesn't find someone who could have been saved, Mm. but finds an indicator on some sort of alarm that says, go and see Jimmy in room 27 because he's about to have a heart attack. And, And then it could be as simple as getting some aspirin into them to 
thin the blood out ever so slightly, and that might be enough to ward off the initial part of it and then get someone to a hospital very quickly. Yeah, right. So that sounds pretty exciting. But the other part of it is dehydration. Now, I remember I rode a push bike across the desert. It was a race across the desert. Sounds stupid, I know. You don't have to give me a hard time. My wife's done that already. (laughs) But it was this race across the desert. And I remember in that race, they said that the very beginning of the day, they and they had doctors along. It was very well organised. You had inspections in the morning. You had 6 a.m. start, you'd ride till midday, you'd have a two-hour break, then ride from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Middle of the desert, obviously very hot, and they just stress so much about that. Drink, 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 and drink, because you'll get dehydrated, you won't know you're dehydrated, Mm. and then you'll be collapsed on the side of the road, and guess what? There's not many people out on this road, Mm. (laughs) like none, Mm. and so you're relying on another person on a push bike to pick you up, and they're not going to worry about you too much, because they can't carry you back to some sort of medical help. So dehydration's a big issue. One of the, the stats that I've read before, that if you're only 3% dehydrated, that's the equivalent of being 0.08 blood alcohol level. You wouldn't get in a car and drive it at 0.08. You would, because you probably don't know about it, get behind the wheel of a car at 3% dehydration. You might have been out at a concert somewhere, not drinking, doing the right thing, dancing away, having a great time, jump back in the car. You don't even realise you're dehydrated. Mm. Next thing you know, you start driving a car and you're affected. Mm. They're going to start using this. Yeah, that's right. They're going to start using this in the industry, sorry, the coal industry or the mining industry. You've got some of these people who are driving huge trucks, 300-ton trucks, for example. And again, it's hot, heavy work sometimes, and I'm sure they've got water there. But when your body's saying, have a drink, James, it's already at a point of dehydration, a certain level of dehydration. So the old saying, when you're doing any endurance event, is drink before you get thirsty, which is hard to do because you're not really thinking about that. Mm. You think about it when you get thirsty. But they're talking about exactly this sort of safety mechanism, having an indicator on that says we're monitoring what's happening inside your body and you are dehydrated, so have a drink now, even though you may not feel like having a drink. So monitoring that, I can imagine they'll use that for elite athletes as well. You can imagine people doing marathons, people running or riding bicycles in long-distance events. I was cutting out a a tree stump yesterday, so labourers, like, um, just digging out an old tree stump and I just felt myself uh, all of a sudden just feeling really lightheaded. Yeah, right, yeah. Obviously... You know, a bit unfit, shall we? <laughs> Could probably work on <laughs> Nothing that. Nothing to do with it. <laughs> but the dehydration and potential heart attack on the way there. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So that dehydration is something that I've, I've actually read about and heard about before, but I've never really seen great ways, effective ways to try and stop that. Even on my bicycle when I'm riding my bike, I've got a little computer and it will set up. It's got a, a process there to set up time and calories that it's estimated that you've burnt to give you a reminder to say, mm. hey, make sure you have a drink. Mm. And so that's good, but it's pretty crude in terms yeah, of the analysis. Yeah, yeah. It's just a general sort of analysis. It is, yeah. yeah, nothing like this sort of analysis. So quite incredible. The particular company here is called Wear Optimo. And again, as I mentioned before, Queensland-based, I'm pretty excited about that. And I think we'll see more and more of these things. Who knows what will come mm. next, James? Mm. We'll, we'll get all sorts of exciting Maybe things coming up. Maybe not the needles that go in, though, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, folks, strap yourself in for this one. An office chair that looks like it was ripped out of Star Trek's Starship Enterprise. And get this, it does 0 to 20 in about three seconds. Folks, the queue starts right here, right behind me. Matt, tell the good people what they'll miss out, in, uh, miss out on if they're not too quick enough. Well, I think the problem I'm going to get now is I'm going to get complaints from people that do podcasts with saying that our chairs aren't good enough because <laughs> we don't have a chair like this. <laughs> that I can drive around the office. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I know. 
It's one of those things that well, companies do from time to have time. Have thought about it? I have thought about it. I have thought about it, James. <laughs> okay. and, and, Think harder. And, and I've got, thanks, I've got a little problem in that at the moment it's just a prototype. When they ah. go into production, that's when we'll get you set up with one of these chairs. But until then, it's one of those things where companies will say, let's show off what we can do. Mm. Take it to a few shows, get people talking about it, get people on podcasts, get saying our in brand name. A Captain Kirk outfit. <laughs> That's yeah. right, exactly. But it just goes to show how far our technology has come. And this is an electric chair. We've got electric vehicles out there. Bit easier an electric chair because you're not expecting range. You probably don't have range anxiety around the office, do you? Yeah, no, but no. it is pretty exciting. It's really a chair that's got all the features of a car. It's got 360-degree collision avoidance sensors. It's got a backup camera. It's got a heated seat, of course. Well, that makes sense if it's just a chair. It's got a touchscreen display, and you can even hook up a little trailer. It's got a tow bar on it, so you can hook something up to it. I imagine here an esky would be the obvious <laughs> thing you'd hook up to it to drag it into the lounge room when you want to watch something on TV and relax for a while. <laughs> so but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, This is like I'm thinking Mr. Spacely from the Jetsons, and I'm also thinking Dr. Evil from <laughs> Austin Powers. Indeed. And when he loses control with a joystick and it starts swiveling around all over the place, yeah, look, I, I can't wait to get one of these. That's right. 20 k's an hour, top speed. It's got five wheels on it. That sounds complicated to me. I'm not sure what the fifth wheel does. Oh, no, no. That, well, there are a lot of office chairs with five wheels for stability. One right Generally in the middle, star shape star-shaped um, yeah, okay. uh, array rather than uh, a square, which can tip a bit easier. You obviously get much flasher. The flasher-er. Pentagon goes, <laughs> yeah, tips over less. Well, you've got much flasher office chairs than I have, Well, obviously. you know what? You know, we've had office chair races before. Has <laughs> anyone? But got, it's all manually powered by your legs. Oh, Imagine if what? you had a joystick that you know, and a motor. That's what you want. So this is the sort of thing. We're just seeing more and more things with uh, electric vehicles, electric chairs, all sorts of things there. It's actually being done by Volkswagen in Norway, so I'm not expecting it to be in a Volkswagen dealership near you yet. <laughs> but if it gets a bit of a good reaction when it goes to shows and people want to get around and start playing it, why not? I don't know, you'd pay thousands for one of these, but I think there's people out there who would pay thousands for one of these. So <laughs> keep an fun. eye out for this soon. I'll Absolutely. get you one as soon as I can get one, James. I Q promise I'll get you here. one. And another story from Tony Stark's toy shop. You know how Iron Man has that cool data that's being fed to him through his helmet visor. Well, why wouldn't you put that into a lens of a pair of swimming goggles? Of course you would. Folks, you can now be fed all your vital stats as you punch out those long and lonely laps one after another, after another, after another, all the while checking in on your performance as you go. Matt, it's a bit like having a pit crew in the pool, am I right? I'm assuming that these will be banned for competition because it does sound like an advantage, doesn't it? Well, yeah, definitely. But then if everyone's got them, it's not an advantage. Well, they still banned the swimsuits, though, didn't they? When everyone had the swimsuits, mm. when they had those swimsuits with a bit of buoyancy and there were, there were records falling all over the place, they still banned those. And I imagine with this, maybe someone will try it. Maybe someone will turn up to the Olympics mm. one day with these goggles on and someone will go, hold on a second there. It looks like you've got a bit of extra information in there. Those underwater cameras would pick when it up. If Tony Stark shows up on the blocks, then you've <laughs> got to be suspicious. Well, if he turns up, he's got his big energy source <laughs> in the middle of his chest. That might be a bit of a giveaway too. But it does sound interesting. We've talked before about 
the comeback of the Google Glasses, which their mm. first iteration kind of fizzled away, but it's come back and people will have information, general information on the inside of their glasses. Having the in- information on the inside of your goggles sounds fantastic because I'm not a fan of swimming, James. Sorry, yeah. let me correct that. I, I'm quite happy with swimming at the beach or having swimming a bit of swimming for fun, but I'm not a fan of doing laps because it looks incredibly tedious to me. <laughs> Just <laughs> up and down and up that's and right. down. You can get lost in your thoughts and all that sort of stuff and that's fine, but yeah, if you've got all that data, of there, you can be thinking about okay, I've got to get my blood rate up. Oh, sorry, my heart rate up. Yeah, or I'm going too high. I've got to back it off and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. it's got fascinating information. It's got your lap times. If you do rest at each at the end of each lap, so you might be doing some sprints, for example, and you might have a rest. Tell you how long you've rested for. Mm. So it'll give you all this information. Tell you how many calories you've burned. That's always a bit of a guess in terms of any of that technology that brings through the number of calories. But laps you've done, distance you've covered, your stroke rate, every bit of information you can possibly think of will be fed to you inside your goggles. I still don't know what happens to people that can't quite see things up close or mm. they've got a bit of a distance, uh, problem with their eyes, their eyes are getting a bit old, they can't focus quite correctly. People that would normally wear glasses, for example, is it clever enough to adjust that so that it actually caters for the fact that you can't see properly, so yeah. it, it actually adjusts that image that it gets projected in there. don't know the answer to that. It would be fantastic if that was the case, but someone out there much cleverer than I will, than I am with eyes will say that's impossible or you can't do that, which will be a challenge to a technology company to see if they can actually deliver <laughs> that to people. Never say never. <laughs> never say never. But I think this is the sort of thing that I just think this would make it more interesting, maybe motivate you to go a bit further. Maybe you could watch some news while you're... <laughs> Maybe that would make, now that would make it more interesting. Absolutely. Now, now I'm there. I'm about watch to start doing that. Watch some sport or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And then run into the end of the pool while you're swimming along. But <laughs> but it is something that we're just seeing so much technology that's going to be on our body as the technology gets smaller, as our screen resolution gets better, and as the batteries get better. That's one of the big things because you don't want to put these goggles on and then mm. have a big battery pack on your back that weighs you down <laughs> by five kilos and sinks you to the bottom of the pool. Maybe so, that will keep it out of competition. Well, yeah, yeah. maybe that would keep it out of competition. But I think these sort of things where you're just getting so many advances in so many different areas, you're getting to that point where you are getting all these little advances that you're not necessarily thinking of. But this sounds like a pretty exciting one. game steps up another notch, but you'll have to wait until 2024 for it. The clever folks at Porsche reckon it'll be worth the wait. Matt, have you placed your order yet? Not for one of these, but I'm pretty interested. And when you see a company that is well and truly known for its performance vehicles, its Mm. wonderful vehicles, and just such an iconic brand in Porsche, Mm. when they're going full on into EVs, those doubters out there, there still are some, I think. They may be not listening to our podcast, yeah. Yeah, but those doubters out there are probably saying, gee, this seems to be everyone, every company out there. Now, this is the, now is it Macan, M-A-C-A-N, Macan, Macan? I reckon it's, well, yeah, I'll give you Macan. Macan, it's kind of, I was trying to think of the German pronunciation. Uh, so, yeah. Could I, be I'd Scottish, go, could be Macan. It could be, but I thought being a German brand, <laughs> yeah. then maybe Macan. So so it's basically a Macan. It's an electric SUV. Talk about performance. They've got a Macan S that's got a twin turbocharged V6 engine. Well, this thing has got about twice the power. Oh, so wow. when people think, oh, yeah, I'll get that twin turbocharged V6, that sounds like it's a goer, forget about that. Because when you go to electric, as we know, all bets yeah. are off, and it just changes the dynamic. This has got 450 kilowatts, 1,000 newton metres of torque. This thing goes. Now, they haven't actually quoted the 0 to 100 kilometre 
time, but to because give, it's untimable. <laughs> that's right. The stopwatch so wasn't fast, fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But to give you an idea, the uh, Porsche Taycan Turbo S electric version can do zero to one hundred in two point eight seconds. This thing is probably going to be similar to that, so it puts it right down it's there. Get to the stage where you're going to need to have done fighter pilot training in order to drive one of these things. Well, you just have to question how fast do you need to get to 100. It's really cool, I must admit, when you put people in the car and say, hey, look at this. But I don't know that's what's going to make people buy electric vehicles. It's cool Mm. to show that off, Mm. but there's probably a little bit more in the thought process to go. But I think one of the things, and this is where it's one of the interesting things, people always quote zero to 100 times with electric vehicles because, and I'll give credit where credit's due, Tesla, Elon Musk, wanted to make electric vehicles sexy rather than making Mm. them a bit stodgy or a bit like the golf cart that you drive around out in the golf course, the way to make them sexy is to say, you performance heads out there, look what this thing can do. And it doesn't really need to be that fast, but it's cool. But the other thing that's exciting about this one is a range of more than 700 kilometres. Oh, wow. If you have got that range anxiety. That blows everyone away. It does blow everyone away. And it would be the highest range electric vehicle in the market if this one actually comes out. But by 2024, as you correctly said, it's not available to 2024 I guarantee you there'll be other vehicles out there that'll have 700-kilometre range. Some mm. manufacturers we've talked about are aiming for a 1,000-kilometre range. Mm. When do you need that? How often do you need that? How often do you get in a car and drive 1,000 kilometres in one go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we do that sometimes. Well, sorry, yeah, I've got family who live a long way away. And so, so once yeah. a year you do that, so you, you need yeah, that range. Yeah, a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but, but it's still, I'd, I'd be looking at that one, I reckon. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that sounds pretty cool. So there you go. There's two orders in for the Porsche Macan electric SUV. Uh, it's again, I just like this idea that there are so many of these different brands, traditional brands saying, this is our future, this is where we're headed. Mm. It's, a, it's changing the dynamic very quickly. Well, Google has been sent to the naughty corner. They're in hot water over misleading folks into thinking that they turned off location tracking when in fact, they had not. Matt, what are the bones in this story and how much pocket money is it going to set the communications giant back? I don't know if it actually hurts them. If I said to most people, we're going to fine you $392 million US yeah. dollars. I'd say, you're going to have to wait for that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Can I work it off? <laughs> for most people, that'd be a bit of a hit. But for companies the size of Google, we're talking about Google's, Apple's, Microsoft's, some of those companies that are up around that sort of trillion dollar size, mm. you do wonder, I mean, I suppose if I was a shareholder, even though the company might be worth a lot of money, I'd still be thinking $392 million, could we have avoided that? Could we have done something mm. a bit different to not pay that out? In this case, the avoidance would have been fairly simple. I often talk about it in business training and I say, good customer service is really easy, all you've got to do is do what you said you were going to do. And I call that good service. In this case, Google said, sure, we've turned off location tracking. When you click that button on your phone, on your Android phone, we've turned off location tracking, but they didn't. Mm. So it seems like a fairly simple thing when someone says, please don't track my location, and then they kept doing it, that seems like a little bit of a breach of trust. And the way you get penalised for a breach of trust when you're a Google is to pay $392 million. So that's this claim that 40 states in the US have made against Google. Now, this was after a claim that was made in the state of Arizona. They had to pay $85 million there. So now we're 85 plus 392. Mm. But we haven't talked about anywhere else in the world yet. There might be some other jurisdictions who say, oh, 
392 million. We could help our budget with that. Let's see if we can go out there and hit Google with that as well. And I think what do they pay it to? Who, who collects that money? I imagine it's the government of in this particular state yeah, okay. or this particular case, the 40 states. I imagine those governments collect that. A bit like a parking fine. Yeah. Sorry, you pay a $100 parking fine. Sorry, you pay $392 million for a bre- <laughs> breach of trust fine. But and we're building a new town hall. <laughs> that's right. And that's the thing, isn't it? That's a significant sum of money. It probably does help your budget out a little bit. So yeah. why wouldn't you go after for them and why wouldn't you see if you can do it now i don't know that google will necessarily just roll over on this one they might want to protest they might want to appeal because more than the 392 million it might be what they have to pay across the rest of the world and there are sometimes organizations to say i don't want to pay it in that jurisdiction because wow that'll open the floodgates mm. 392 million might soon turn into billions of dollars when you yeah. start getting hit by everyone across the world but it, it's good in one way that when you get these technology companies that have got so much power, and we talked about it before, YouTube, Google, Facebook. Yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, incredible responsibility. And some of these companies don't realise the responsibility they have and they still think they're a little backyard operation because they started with a couple of mates at uni mm. and next thing you know, they're controlling things in the world. That yeah. sounds a bit scary. That's when you need to cue that evil music and stroking a cat <laughs> sitting down in your Volkswagen yeah. chair. I'm not sure how I feel about the next headline here. It's a new boon for homeowners. Solar panels that are actually going to look attractive. Matt, I know what I like in a house, and I've got to say, solar panels never really struck me as unattractive. What's so special about this new generation that's on its way? It is fascinating. I agree with you. And if I go back a bit of my dark, distant past, one of the businesses I started in the past was installing TV antennas. We had aggregation TV aggregation back in 89, 1990, around that time frame, aggregation occurred. So that meant our good old, in our area, we had CBN8, CWN6 was the one commercial channel, the worst name ever yeah. for a commercial TV <laughs> channel. And, and they aggregated to the point where we had three commercial channels plus our ABC and SBS. And you needed a new antenna for that. Mm. Now, it was a high frequency, so you had the old antennas were VHF, and obviously VHF is a lower frequency than UHF. So sometimes people in the UHF areas didn't get the same reception, so they needed to go up a bit higher to pick up that reception. So I would come along as a TV antenna installer, as one of the businesses I had, and said, we need to put up a telemast and 15 metres sometimes we put on top of their roof. And people yeah, would say... Man, that's a decent area. It is. And they'd say, that's ugly. Because you had guy wires associated with it as well. Yeah. They'd say, that's ugly. I don't want that on there. I said, well, that's how you're going to get TV reception. You can stick with your old CBN8, CWN6 and ABC. Or you can have all these new wonderful UHF channels. And they went, no, thanks. We'll just stick with the old channel because I don't want that ugly tower on my roof. And I'd say, but you don't look up at the roof. I was trying to sell them something, mind you. But <laughs> you don't look up at the roof when you're walking up to your house. You're looking at the front door. So why do you worry about a big antenna on the roof? Anyway, some people chose not to go that way. That's their prerogative, their choice. Mm. Solar panels are a bit the same. The number one reason people don't put solar panels on their house is the cost. The number two reason is because they don't like the look of them. And I I'm can't like, understand. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, the same argument with the old TV antenna. I don't walk up to my house staring up at the roof of my house. Yeah. I look at the front door or I drive in the garage or whatever it might be. I'm not Neither do I look at the tiles on a roof and go, oh, geez, they look good. 
<laughs> When's the last time you admired the roof? The gee, I like that that zinc loom roof rather than a tiled roof. Or I oh, know, look, there's a bit of moss growing around those tiles there. I wish that person would get up and clean their roof. No, I'm I'm with you. I don't get it, but it's the number two reason right. that people don't put okay. it up on there. So I think if that's your reason, then you're fishing for reasons to <laughs> not get solar panels. You are such a cynic, James. <laughs> but people have said, or technology researchers have said, if that's the case. Let's fix the problem. Let's say, okay, if you have Sets such an up. issue there, then let's see what we can do about it. And they're doing lots of things about it. So one of the things is involving perovskites. So they're minerals with a crystal structure that can be spread as thin as half a micron and still produce electricity. Now, the actual efficiency of it isn't too bad at this stage. Similar-ish to solar panels, to photovoltaic solar panels. So that's pretty good. They're a bit more expensive at this stage, but that's only a matter of time. But the beauty of it is because they're so thin, you can incorporate them into lots of things. You can incorporate them into external cladding on your house. You could put it into pergolas, shading systems, skylights, even paints. They're talking about actually producing paints with this built-in. I don't know how you hook up electrodes to paints to get the electricity out of that particular material, but this is the sort of thing we're doing. The, The other thing about this is that you can actually build it into a fabric. So you could actually have a shade cloth over your barbecue area or a shade cloth over your swimming pool, and that's a solar panel. I think so. So if you think, oh, no, it's too ugly to have those photovoltaics on there, then people just go, hey, James, love the shade cloth over the swimming pool. We can swim without getting burnt now. And you're snickering away to yourself going, ha, I've got them. That's producing electricity for me. (laughs) So got you, suckers out there. (laughs) That's right. The other one is solar shingles. Now, Tesla did produce some solar shingles in the past. And they didn't really take off that much because they are pretty expensive. So mm. it was a silly thing to do to replace all your roof tiles with these solar shingles because it made it very expensive. It was cheaper to put photovoltaics on. But now they've been in the market for a while and people are building new houses or replacing a roof for whatever reason you might have to replace a roof. That's when it's reasonably cost effective to actually replace it with solar shingles. And lots of companies have now copied Tesla and they're now producing their own yeah, solar shingles. Okay. So that's a pretty good one. So that you just look up at your roof and you go, huh, it's just normal roof tiles. But again, little did you know that that's now producing <laughs> electricity. That's right, producing electricity for you. So there are lots of different things that we're doing to try and get them out there. Even the good old-fashioned silicon solar panels are being laminated into material. So again, that shade cloth, that type of material there. And again, we've got all these things with using different colours. So you've got good old-fashioned photovoltaics, but using nanoparticles or dye to change the colour. So if you've got this beautiful red roof and you put these ugly, dark-looking photovoltaics on there, you can put red-coloured photovoltaics on there. Now, you do lose about 5% of your efficiency, but if you're really worried about the look of your place, then you probably don't care about the 5% efficiency. Mm. You care more about the place looking good with those photovoltaics on there. And I wonder whether it's a little bit like if you look back at some TV shows in the early 2000s, when you wanted to demonstrate there was a character in a TV show or a movie that was a good character, you would see them pull up in a Toyota Prius because they're obviously caring about the environment. So <laughs> it was almost a label you would put on, oh, he's a Prius driver, or he or she's a Prius driver, therefore they're a good character. And I wonder the same with photovoltaics. I wonder whether some people would prefer people knowing that they've got photovoltaics on their roof so they can say, look at me, I'm doing the right thing by the environment. I've got photovoltaics rather than having them hidden in there. But again, some people have said they're really worried about that look of those solar panels on there. <laughs> and they also hate wind turbines. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're old news, folks. 
self-driving taxis are so, well, so first half of 2022. As you may have suspected, they're not without their hiccups. Apparently dodgy weather can cause them some mischief. So one driverless taxi service is making lemonade using their fleet to help generate real-time weather maps. Matt, we're one more step closer to mastering Mother Nature, and who would have thunk it would be due to a glitch in driverless taxis? Mm. It's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I find it... Well, we did the story recently about checking bridges using some services like Uber to use the accelerometers in your smartphone to check on the health of a bridge. Mm. So we're getting these secondary and even tertiary uses for a service that started off with a primary use, transporting people. And this is a similar sort of concept here where you're right, having self-driving taxis, self-driving vehicles in general, they don't love fog. So there are some places in America in particular where they're trying to roll these out where fog's an issue and then, sorry, that car can't work. They're using a combination of radar in some cases, LIDAR in some cases, but even just good old-fashioned video cameras to look out for the lines on the side of the road Mm. or to look for vehicles and people. So a whole range of things there. And just as humans probably aren't great in fog, then driverless cars aren't great in fog. So by getting to the point where you're feeding all this data in from all these different devices out there, all these different cars out there, and getting these real-time weather maps, it means that you can actually get a snapshot of what the weather's like for a few reasons. Obviously, they're focused on can that taxi go and pick up James at his location and there's heavy fog there, we know, because we've had another taxi go there. So that'll be the first instance. It'll be, sorry, we can't go in this area at the moment because we know the weather's not good enough for our driverless taxi to actually work in that area. Or it could be used by you because you want to go for a bike ride and you don't like riding through the fog. So you check on these real-time weather maps. Not only are you getting the normal service you get from whatever the equivalent in America of the Bureau of Meteorology is, but you're getting this really specific, really localised weather service where you're getting imagery coming from a vehicle on the ground, giving you that real-time data. That just sounds yeah, fascinating and, and does. to me, fantastic to get so localised in your data. And I even like it when you travel around somewhere and you move in different areas in a city where you know there have got different weather patterns and you check on your phone and you know your phone knows where you are and your phone's giving you weather in that particular area. But it might be to a five-kilometre, 10-kilometre radius. Mm. This would be getting to a five metre radius. It would be just getting so specific <laughs> about the weather around the particular area. So well, if you need someone to tell you what the weather's like within five metres of you, um, you probably <laughs> just need to open your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So I'm more thinking no, no, about... No, 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 no. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're zeroing in and getting more specific and it's great. Yeah, we are. We're getting more specific, but also about what you might want to do as an individual, but what the service that you're going to use might want to yeah. do as well. So it does sound fascinating. And again, I'm sure when they were working out self-driving cars, self-driving taxis, no one in the initial design phase said, hey, we could have really localised weather maps from this because everyone laughed at them and said, what are you doing in this room? You're way out of your depth here, Jimmy. Get outside. Go and talk to someone that cares what you're talking about. But (laughs) once they start... Yeah, that's right. Once they start developing these further, this is where we keep finding all these other uses for technology, which I just think is fascinating. Mm. In the race to lower costs for EVs and improve their position in the competitive marketplace, EV makers are looking for whatever ways they can find to make them cheaper to build. And the battery is a major target, Matt. But if I understand this correctly, if you want a cheaper battery, you'll need to make some compromises along the way. 
Yeah, I just don't like that compromise thing. Can't we just mm. have everything perfect, everything better all the time? It seems like these compromises. In the old of, days, we didn't have to make compromises. That's right. We? Surely not. Surely not. The big thing at the moment is, yes, we need to be able to make more batteries. It is ramping up for car makers around the world. Lithium iron phosphate batteries, known as LFPs, not very creative there in the naming of that, but <laughs> LFP batteries are going to be used more and more in vehicles, electric vehicles, but there are some problems. The range isn't quite as good. The energy density isn't quite as good. The actual price to produce them is fantastic, but you'll need something a bit bigger to if you want to get the same range out of it, obviously. And they're looking at this for particular vehicles that are already large. So, for example, the Ford F-150 Lightning, it's a large vehicle. So if they put LFP batteries in that, then they just need to make the volume of that battery a little bit larger. You're probably not going to notice it that much mm. in a large it vehicle can be like that. reasonably well. That's right. But these can be up to 30% cheaper to produce the same number of kilowatt hours in a battery. So suddenly you say, well, that's pretty good. That means we're getting a cheaper battery. The same range, yes, a larger volume, but we're seeing more and more of this. So I think out of China, you're going to be seeing more and more of these produced because China is getting good percentage market share. But keep in mind, China sells a lot of cars because they've got a lot of people there. Yeah. So even when you start to talk about those percentages up around, say, 25% in China, that's a lot of cars. So you've got to produce a lot of materials to get that. And so they're looking at different ways to produce these batteries. So don't be scared. Some people are very focused on where their particular car is made, where their EV is made. Is that one of the American-made ones or one of the Chinese-made ones? Or where did this come from? And I've heard some people say, I don't want one of the Chinese ones for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they say because their batteries aren't as good. And I would say, well, maybe they're different. Maybe the production process is a bit cheaper, so it's good. But the manufacturer still wants to have that same range out of a vehicle. So they're going to do everything they possibly can to make sure you're still getting the same specs in that car. Buying a car with lithium iron phosphate, I don't have a problem with that at all. Mm. If it means that the cars are cheaper to produce and they can produce more, they're all positives as well. So don't be scared off by it. But this is a thing that we will see. We'll see different production techniques, different components used in our batteries, different types of batteries being produced. And we'll get there as we go over time where we'll keep refining things. Keep in mind that the internal combustion engine has had over a century of development to get to where we are now. The batteries in terms of cars, really, it's only been used commonly for maybe a decade or a little bit more than that. We've got a long way to go, so we're going to see constant changes as we go along. It's an industrial evolution. It is absolutely right. It's it's almost a revolution, but we're at the stage now where it, it can, it's continuing to evolve. And these small changes we're seeing, I think that sounds absolutely fine. The, the prediction is that LFP batteries will probably account for up to 40% of the global market by 2030. So don't be scared by it. In fact... Don't care about it. Just go and buy whatever car has the specs that you need and don't get too worried about it. How many people sit there and say, oh, that internal combustion engine, the piston's made by one particular company or the Mm. crankshaft is made by this engineering firm. We really like that firm. We don't. You buy the car based on the specs and that's the same with EVs. People seem to become experts on different components when you don't really need to be. You just want to get in and drive the thing. Drive it. Yep. Exactly right. And with that, folks... I'll have have you know that it's a glorious spring day outside and too good to spend indoors. So I'm off to see if I can squeeze out a little vitamin D before dinner time. How about you, Matt? Well, no, I'm going to go and listen to the monkeys now. Now you've got me. I've been thinking of the monkeys the whole time. I've been chatting there, <laughs> thinking about you know being a daydream believer. I want to get out there and be time a daydream for some believer. Nostalgia, yeah, yeah, that's right. Thanks for another cracking tech talk. My pleasure. Folks, in case you came in late and you're new to the game, you've been listening to Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. I'm your host, James Eddy, reminding that you that if you haven't already, 
liked or subscribed or left a glowing comment, spread the good word about our humble little podcast, then you should do so and do so now. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you again in another week.